Well, hey, City Church, it's good to see you guys today. Uh, before I get into my message, uh, you know, we're going to continue our series on purpose. Uh, I just want to say a word of thanks to those of you who give regularly to the City Church movement. Uh, today, each of the 50-plus people who are getting baptized, they are a direct result of your investment in this movement. It makes a difference. City Church exists so all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And so far this year, in 2019, with today's uh, people who are getting baptized, we'll have over 175 people who will have expressed their faith in Jesus and gotten baptized. And so I just want to thank you uh, for your generosity and pray God's blessings on you. I also want to say something about the food drive. Uh, I, now, I know we had a goal of 400000 and and that's what the leaders of the food drive, that was their goal. That wasn't my goal. I don't know if you've ever led something where, like, you know, they have a goal, but it's not really your goal. Uh, my goal, my secret goal, uh, was a half million. And I was praying for that. I was just hoping that that would happen. And so when Demers told me the final numbers, I was like, I'm more excited than any of you because I knew what was in my heart. And uh, because we believe our, our church is not only called to help people believe in Jesus, but we do believe we're called to serve our community. And we, we moved our food drive to where it is now because the food bank asked us to, to serve hungry kids during the summer when they're not going to school. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity, and I pray God will bless you in return. And so uh, I just want to say to those of you who, who have made a commitment to give to this movement, be faithful uh, to that movement. You know, like don't use your movement money for your vacation money. You know, take the vacation money out of your kids' college savings or somewhere else. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> and, and then, and if you don't give to the movement, I encourage you to take a step of faith and give because your giving makes a difference. Now, we're going to continue our series studying uh, the unexpected path to joy. We're, we're studying this summer in, in June and July the ancient Christian letter called Philippians. And it's included in the Christian scriptures, so I'm excited about the study because it, it, it unveils or it, uh, it, it presents to us an unexpected path to joy, a way you can feel joy no matter what. And we call it an unexpected path to joy because I think we all have to wrestle with what we expect will bring us joy in life. Because I think many people expect that if you grow up in a good family, get a good education, you know, go to a good high school like Marshall High School, baby, ram em rams and then if your parents can bribe your way into a good college, I mean, if you can get into a good college, mm-hmm, you know, if you can get a good degree, then you'll get a good job, and, and then you'll get a good spouse, and then you'll get a good house, and you'll have your own kids. What we, th what we expect is if all of those good things line up, right, we're going to feel joy. But how many of you know that our expectations sometimes don't match our experience? How many of you know that sometimes our ideal circumstances don't lead to real joy? And if our circumstances determine our joy then our joy will always be determined by our circumstances, and we don't control our circumstances. Now, last week, we, we looked at the author of this Philippian letter, the Apostle Paul, and it was so interesting, if you remember his setting. He was in prison, literally in chains for his faith, awaiting trial, but he said he felt joy. He felt joy no matter what. He felt joy because even in prison, he was living his purpose. 
And that's why we have said purpose is the unexpected path to joy. Living with purpose provides meaning in life. Living with purpose will stir passion for your life. And living with purpose will give you a sense of direction for your life. And it will help you live with a sense of destiny. So are you living with purpose? Now, as I got ready for this series, I came across some surveys that I found intriguing because they talk about the next couple of generations, their expectations and their goals in life. And, and I just want to pause and say, and I, I do pay attention to surveys like this, uh, because so the surveys I, I looked at, they, they were surveying uh, the millennials who were born between 1981 and 1996. Do we have any millennials here? Okay, yeah, okay. You, and then uh, Gen Z, born between 1997-2010. Do we have any Gen Zers here? Oh, all right. Okay. And, and, and the reason I pay attention to these surveys is because surveys tell us that these two generations, uh, in general, tend to be skeptical of the church and critical of the church. And I understand why. And I think because we're the kind of church who believes in, in helping all people believe and thrive in Jesus, we have to do our work to understand what's going on, what are they seeing, what are they experiencing, to try to best help them believe in Jesus. So anyway, this survey revealed that for both generations, their highest goal in life is to be happy. Pretty interesting. And this survey reveals that 70% of them want to make a difference in the world. Think about that, 70% of them. 70% of them want to make this world a better place. And I want to affirm that, if that's you, that's a right kind of goal, that's a right aspiration, that's a right expectation. Because I believe that God wires us that way. I believe God wires all of us that way. We all have an inner desire to live for something greater than ourselves that is not about ourselves. That's what living with purpose is all about. And I believe that the church movement that Jesus started, he intended it to be a movement of people who pursued their purpose in life and experienced joy no matter what because they were making a difference in this world. I want you to know that you exist for a reason. You are not an accident. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life and you can live it. And in this study, I want to help you understand your purpose in life, to really wrestle with what that means, because it will help you experience joy no matter what. Because there is a difference between having fun and feeling joy. There is a difference between merely surviving and truly thriving. There is a difference between making a living and making a life. And in this series, I want to help you make a life. I hope to inspire you to believe that you do matter, that you can make a difference, and that you can uniquely make this world a better place. So are you living like you matter? Are you living your purpose? Well, today we're going to look at one of the key hindrances that keeps people from living with purpose, and we're going to look at a key virtue that will help us overcome that hindrance so that we can all live our purpose. You ready? This is Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 20, where Paul wrote, I eagerly expect and hope that 
I will in no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, in these verses, Paul uh, acknowledges the inherent risk that comes with living your purpose. And so for Paul in particular, living his purpose risked having some conflict and facing conflict. And if you remember, as we looked at his story last week, he had already faced a lot of conflict. And in Paul's case, uh, living his purpose meant he could face imprisonment. And as I said, he was already in prison, in prison for his faith. But now, if you get the picture, he's sitting there awaiting trial. He's He's realizing another risk. And that is the risk... Uh, that as he awaits trial, he could actually be put to death. And so all of these risks, now I'm going somewhere with this, all of these risks stirred fear in his heart. And for Paul to live his purpose, he had to face his fears. He had to get real about them and overcome them. And we understand that, don't we? I mean, when we face risk, it does stir fear in our hearts. And I think it's so important for us to acknowledge this truth because living with purpose inherently brings us to positions and situations where we will have to face and overcome our fears. And fear is the hindrance that will keep us from living our purpose. Fear is the hindrance that will keep you from living your purpose. So what kind of fear am I talking about? Well, there's the fear of failure. The belief that, you know what, I just, I may not be good enough. I may not be important enough. I may not really be able to help anyone or any situation. There's the fear of rejection. Maybe that we would be rejected by the person or the people we're trying to help. Or maybe we get rejected by the people closest to us who don't understand why we take such risks to live our purpose. Or maybe it's the fear of what it will cost the fear of what it will cost to live our purpose, the fear of what it will cost us financially or or our time and energy and emotional energy. What will it cost us? And sometimes we're afraid of that. Sometimes it could be the fear of sacrifices or of pain or even potentially suffering that could come with living our purpose. Is fear keeping you from living your purpose? Everyone struggles with this. If you go down the path of purpose, We all struggle with with acknowledging the risk and facing our fears. We'd all prefer to be comfortable. We'd all prefer for everything to go smoothly. Come on, I'm not the only one. So why would we risk it? Why would we invite the drama into our lives? Why would we potentially face conflict? Why, Why would we take the risk and face our fears to live with purpose? Well, I want us to get back to Paul's letter because... Paul tells us why he faced the risk and how he overcome his fears. So we've talked about the key hindrance to living our purpose, which is fear, the fears that get stirred in us. Paul mentions, though, the key virtue that will help you overcome your fears. I'm going to go back to verse 20 where he says, I hope I will always have sufficient what? Courage, so that now as always Christ might be exalted in my body. Paul faced his risk and he overcome his fears because he had courage. And he had courage because he was focused on exalting Christ in his body. So what does that mean, exalting? Well, that sounds like a religious word. So I looked at that word in the Greek. It literally means to magnify. 
So Paul was thinking about magnifying Christ on the earth through his body. So picture this. If you can picture yourself as a magnifying glass, so Jesus is not on the earth anymore. He's in heaven. And Paul's picturing himself as like magnifying Christ on the earth through his body, through how he lived. In other words, he's talking about living his purpose. And when he was focused on living his purpose, it gave him courage to face risks and to overcome fears. And so I want us to dig a little bit deeper. So where did Paul get this courage? Like, you know, I'd like to get into his mind. Well, this is one of those interesting letters where he actually lets us into how his mind processes stuff. And he lets us uh, get, get a glimpse of how he had the, the courage to face the risks and the fears. You ready? This is uh, Philippians 1. We're going to start in 21 again, and it goes through 25. Paul writes, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He's talking about living his purpose. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, by, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress, and notice again, your joy in the faith. So there's that word joy again. Isn't it sort of counterintuitive for Paul to talk about joy when he's talking about death and facing the risk of death? So did you catch what was going on here? What did Paul mean when he said, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain? First, he was talking about his sense of identity. Paul got his sense of identity through his relationship with Christ. And because Paul believed in Christ, and he got a sense of identity. He knew who he was in Christ. It gave him courage. So think about what he said. Okay, did you catch the way he thinks? He thought, okay, so what's the worst thing that could happen? I could die. And if I die serving Christ, I'll be with him in heaven, and that makes me feel joyful. And if I don't die and I stay here on the earth, I'm going to keep living my purpose in his movement. That makes me feel joyful too. It was like Paul was in a no-lose situation. And he lived with that kind of perspective. It's like, I win if this happens. I win if this happens. I can't lose. And guess what? That perspective gave him courage. The courage to face risks and to overcome his fears. Now, can I just, I want to speak uh, to those of you that may be new to church. And maybe you're still not sure what you think about God and Jesus and all this stuff. First of all, I want you to know I'm glad you're here. You're welcome here. Our church exists for you. We seek to create a safe community of grace where you can explore our faith in Jesus. And maybe hearing some ancient Christian dude saying things like, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, maybe that sounds creepy to you, you know? Maybe it sounds weird to you. I, I get it. I really do. But I also want you to think about the implications that that belief actually stirred courage within a man. You see, we do believe Jesus is the Son of God. And we believe he started the greatest movement ever. And we believe Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. And we believe he died on the cross and then rose back to life to prove he's the Son of God, he is the Savior of the world. And we believe that he can give us eternal life forever and an abundant life here and now. 
And in a part of the, the abundant life is living your purpose. And so wherever you are in your spiritual journey, our hope is that one day you will believe in him too. And so you will receive not only eternal life forever, that's where, what, where Paul had that sense of destiny. He knew where he was going. But it also gave him a sense of courage to fulfill his purpose in this life. Now, if you are a believer already, a part of what we want to help you do as, as a believer is to, uh, to get a clear sense of your identity in Christ, who God created you to be so you can do what God created you to do. And so we've, we've created a program to help you do that. It's called the Purpose Path. And I'm encouraging everybody at some point in your journey, I want you to go through the Purpose Path. The Purpose Path will help you gain a sense of cl a clarity about your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ. And it will also help you understand who you, you uniquely are. It'll help you understand your personality, your unique personality, uh, your unique passions, what motivates and drives you, and it will help you understand and recognize your unique spiritual gifts. And if you're not sure what that is, we'll explain that in the class. And my prayer is that as our people go through the purpose path and get a sense of identity of who we are in Christ, then we will fulfill the second part of what it means to live your purpose, which, uh, which is to do what God uniquely created you to do. And I think when Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die in gain, he is talking about his identity in Christ, who he is, but he's also talking about his purpose in Christ. He was focused on living his purpose in Christ. And by being focused on that purpose, it gave him an inner sense of courage. And that courage gave him the inner strength to face risks. That courage gave him the inner strength to overcome his fears. And that courage gave him the inner strength to live his purpose. And because Paul lived his purpose, he felt joy no matter what. Those who avoid risks, those who never overcome their fears, they seldom live with purpose because that's what comes with living with purpose. And that's why it takes courage. It takes courage for us to live our purpose. So that's why Paul in this letter is calling us to face risks, to overcome fears, and to stand up with courage and live with purpose. And then in the next part of his letter, he gives us another element that he believes will help us stand up and live with courage, all right? This is verses 27 and the first part of 28, where Paul writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's talking about encouraging them to live their purpose. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Paul called for these believers to stand firm together. He was helping them see the power of standing firm together, that we can accomplish more together than we can alone. So what does it mean to stand firm together? And so I was trying to think of a way of picturing this, and I, I think I got something. So uh, I grew up here in Texas, and almost every summer for like my whole life, uh, we would go down to the beach, the Gulf Coast, and I loved to play in the water and body surf. And it was especially good when a, when a hurricane was coming in the, and the swells were big. And so, uh, so I sort of transferred that love for the, the waves and the water to my daughter and my son. 
And so, uh, so something happened. One, one time we were down there that I think pictures this whole standing firm together, all right? So we were, we were down at Port Aransas, and, uh, and a hurricane was coming in, and the swells were big. It was awesome. And so my daughter and I went out into the waves, and we, we go out to the further sandbar where the waves are bigger. And we, we made our way out there, and uh, we, we would ride a wave, and then, uh, but we, you know, you know how when you're on the uh, beach and the current's strong, there's the side current that takes you away from your place on the beach? Well, that was one of those days where the side current was really strong. And so we were trying to keep our place on the beach, and so uh, we, we were out on the sandbar, and we would ride a wave in, and then I would dig my feet into the sand and lean against the current so I wouldn't be swept, you know, sideways. I stood firm in the sand. But Anna was too small and too weak and too young to do that herself. It was too deep and it was too strong. So after we rode each wave, I dug my feet in the sand and leaned into it, and then I stretched out my hand, and she held my hand. And we stood firm together. And what Paul is telling us is when you stand firm together, you find courage together. And I think one of the reasons that some of us are paralyzed by our fears is because we're trying to overcome our fears alone, by ourselves. And Paul is stirring within our hearts a desire to stand firm together. And as we stand firm together, we find courage together. The courage to live our purpose. And I think that's what the church is supposed to be all about, at least the church Jesus started. He wanted a group of people who would be focused on living their purpose, who would stir within their hearts, who would rise up and have within their hearts the courage to live their purpose, and we would stand together as we live our purpose. Because we can accomplish more together than we can alone. I, mean, I think the food drive, I think of what we accomplished together. That's more than any one of us could have done alone. And it matters. It makes a difference. Now look, I know some people are down on organized religion. I read the articles. I listen to the reports. I know. Some people are down on organized religion. And, and I do understand why. I really do. I'm not trying to downplay that. But we're not down on organized religion. We believe the Son of God came to the earth and started a religion. It was organized. And he called it the church. And he intended his church to be a movement that mattered, that made a difference in people's lives, that changed the world and made the world a better place. And that happens when people who believe in him rise up and live with courage and stand firm together and do what we are called to do. Because there are people... There are people in our society being swept by the strong currents of life. And I believe we are supposed to rise up and live with courage and stand firm together with outstretched hands to help those who are being swept by the strong currents of moral crises and marital crises, financial crises and family crises, of emotional and mental and physical crises. We're supposed to rise up, stand firm together, stretch out our hands and help people and make this world a better place. Thank you. <laughs> okay, but for us to continue doing this, for us to be that kind of church, we all must rise up and live with courage because it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage for you to mentor or foster or adopt a troubled child. It's going to take courage 
for you to get involved with messy people with messy lives and to help messy kids in Kid City and to help messy teenagers in city youth. Come on. We all struggle with messiness. That's why our church exists. We don't have it all together, but we got to rise up and live with courage. It's going to take courage to serve people who are in need, people who are homeless, people who are poor, people who are marginalized. It's going to take courage for you to give time sacrificially and give your finances sacrificially to something that matters. It's going to take courage for you to risk the challenges and the conflicts that sometimes come with living your purpose. That's why it takes courage. And so can I get real personal with you for a little bit? Because I, I think some of you might be thinking, well, sure, pastor, you're like a super courageous guy, and that's easy for you to say. You don't know what's going on in my brain. Well, I, I think most of you don't know me that well, so I'm going to let you in on a little insight of how my brain works. So I am not a courageous pers- person by nature. So my, my parents told me that like when I was a toddler and learning how to walk, they told me I could walk by myself a long time before I, I let go of coffee tables and chairs and people's legs, um, I was afraid. I was afraid of falling and afraid, I guess, of the pain. And they told me that when I learned how to ride a bike when I was five, they told me f- for a long time I had the balance and the ability to ride my bike before I let them take off the training wheels. Uh, and again, I think I was afraid. I was afraid of falling and, and of the pain. And you get that. Uh, okay, so in high school, like, I didn't date girls for a long time, like, even though I like girls, I, didn't, I, I was too nervous to talk to them. I was afraid. I never would ask, out, ask them out for dates uh, because I was afraid of rejection. And, you know, and, and I've gone back through my life. The fear of failure has driven so many of my decisions. There were times in life where I know when I get honest with myself, I, I made decisions where I avoided risks um, to play it safe. I'm just being honest with you. But there have also been seasons in my life where I think I've stepped out and lived courageously. So like when I was in college, my plan was to become an architect and and build really cool houses and and buildings, not dorky ones, cool ones. And I was going to make a lot of money doing it, but I felt the Lord calling me to be a pastor. And that stirred fear within me. Because here's what you don't know about me. At that time, I had a terrible fear of speaking in public. Oh, yeah, you know that fear. Think about that feeling called to be a pastor when you're afraid to talk in front of people. That's sort of a stinky fear. And I stepped out. And uh, early in my ministry, one of my mentors challenged me to invest my life and to stand firm together with persecuted believers and with those who are marginalized in life. And so early in my ministry, I traveled into communist Eastern Europe, and we befriended and we served persecuted believers who face brutal things because of their faith. And we faced risk because it was against the law in all of these countries, so we would sneak into these countries. So one example, one year we we, uh, met some university students, and we hiked into the mountains so nobody would know what we were doing, and we, we discipled them. We helped them grow in their faith. They risked being kicked out of college. We risked being arrested or even kicked out of the country. And then uh, about a decade ago, I felt a strong sense that that I was supposed to lead our church to do something in in this country called Liberia in West Africa. It was war-torn. It was impoverished. The second poorest country in uh, the, the Western Hemisphere. 
in Africa, okay? Second poorest. And uh, so I, I went with the team. I was preparing to go uh, into Liberia. I felt called to do that. Uh, before I went, though, I wanted to get life insurance. You know, I thought that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I called the biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest insurance companies in our country. And they told me, uh, we don't insure people going to Liberia. It was too risky. And I understood because Liberia had been through a 15-year civil war from 1989 to 2003, and I was going to go in with the team in 2007. So it, it had only ended four years earlier, and things were risky. But we went in anyway, and with a small team, City Church helped establish the nonprofit organization Liberia Now, and we've been funding that uh, organization ever since. And ever since, I've been going in like once or twice a year. Uh, going back into Li Liberia, standing firm with the people there. Well, back in the spring of 2014, you may remember this, the Ebola virus swept across the border of Liberia. And I was going in with a small team, including a, a young mom who was a nurse. And, and I told them, look, Ebola has sp spread into Liberia. It's going to be risky, but we prayed about it, and we felt like God wanted us to go in and stand firm together. I mean, if you don't stand firm together with your friends in tough times, it's like, then why are you even there? And we went in. And once we got into the country, it spread so rapidly. We were there for a little over a week. Uh, we were called into the United States Embassy, and there was about 250 Americans the embassy personnel told us, you may not get out of here, and we may not either. They may close down the borders and shut down the airport. And you don't think that stirs a little bit of fear. But we were there for a purpose. We were there for a reason. And uh, you may not know this, but City Church sent $25,000 uh, to help an entire community buy sanitation and cleaning supplies to protect the spread of this virus in that community. And so your generosity literally saved hundreds of lives. And it made an impact. But despite all that was done, 4,800 people in Liberia died of the Ebola virus, including pastors that we served with and trained, including clinic personnel, a phys physician assistant, and a nurse. That's 4,800 4, people out of a, a country of only 3.8 million. So why would I do it? Why risk it? I want to say to you, it's not because I'm a super courageous person. I'm really not. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is an inner boldness and confidence that helps you overcome your fear. In fact, you don't need courage if there's no fear, Right? And so I, I think I got a picture of what actually gives you that kind of courage. So I want to share it with you. So I'm, I'm reading through Jesus' story in, in the gospel accounts, and I came across an incident that it, I think gives clarity about at least how I live with courage. So Jesus was up on a mountain praying, and his disciples got into a boat, and they were rowing across a large lake. And later uh, in the early evening, Jesus came down, and he was going to go out to them. Well, as the disciples were in the boat, a huge storm swept up. And so the wind was blowing strongly, the waves were big, and they were, they were, having, they were struggling fighting the storm. Well, Jesus begins to walk upon the water, and he goes out to them. And as Jesus is walking on the water in a storm, the disciples see him, 
and they cry out in fear thinking this is a ghost. And it's what Jesus said to them that I think is so significant. Jesus said, take courage. It is I. And then he came up to the boat and the winds ceased and the waves went away. Courage is not about you. Courage is about knowing who's with you. When it is I is with you, when he is with you, the one who can calm the storms, the one who can walk on water, the one who can raise the dead, when he's with you, that gives you courage to face any risk and overcome any fear. Okay, look, you're not supposed to do what I'm called to do, but you are called to do what you're called to do, and it will take courage. And so I'm calling you to rise up. I'm calling you to live with courage, to remember who is with you. He is with you. Do not be afraid. Take courage. It is I. He is with you. And I'm challenging you. Don't settle for making a living. Make a life and live your purpose. Let's pray together. So Lord, I pray for those uh, who, who have an inner sense. They, they know they're your children. They believe in you. You have a purpose for their lives, Lord. And my prayer on this day is that you would help them to, to recognize the fears, whatever fears that might be keeping them from living their purpose, uh, and then help them stir within them the courage to rise up and to live whatever purpose you have for their lives. And then, Lord, I pray for those who don't realize that you are with them, that you want to be with them, those who don't believe in you. And if that's you, I'm inviting you today to believe in Jesus. He loves you. He came to save you. And I invite you to believe in him today. Maybe you would, I, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Just whisper it as I lead you through it. You ready? Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe you've risen from the dead. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to give me eternal life forever and an abundant life here and now. Yes, Lord. And Lord, I pray for those who believed, who expressed their faith in you. I pray that you would relieve them from the burden of guilt. You would remove any stain of sin. Just let them feel the weight lifted off. And I ask that you would fill them with your spirit and seal within their hearts that they are your children and that you love them and that you have a purpose for their lives and that they can live it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.